House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, and that's Mr. David North Martino. It is I, Al. <laughs> it is I. It is I. <laughs> it's, it's my full name again. Yeah, it's the end of the polite week. Remember that oh. this is for the Friday show, so it's over. And next next week, week is going to be tough. Two whips, double whip, double whips. It's wax on, wax off. <laughs> exactly. You know, and and that's and speaking of whacking, I still can't help talking about. Uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow thing, you know, <laughs> and not the, 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 the thing is her, her her lawsuit. I mean, it's probably BS, and I don't care. But just that website and the goop and all that stuff. My God, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Got to get one of those candles. Oh, yeah, I, they sold out. Yeah. Oh. So, but they have the uh, vaginal insert balls. You know, those granite things that you can stick up. And I was thinking of maybe getting one of those, but they sold out. Don't they have the roll-on still? Well, yeah, but you know, roll-ons. You know, come on. Yeah. I don't even. Yeah. Roll on. So it's just, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> anyway, I just, I'm, I'm disappointed. So uh, she's stuck in court dealing with this instead of making new candles. And, and, and the ozone, the ozone machine is great. <laughs> I've had that up my butt now for three yes. weeks and I've never felt better. Anyway. You sound like you're feeling better. <laughs> Getting there, I'll tell you. It cures everything. You know, like that other guy said. It yeah. cures everything. It cures, it cures everything. Why haven't we been doing my this God, you know? <laughs> well, um, now speaking of, um, Goop and Gwyneth Paltrow, we're going right into horror and just laugh. That's the segue. <laughs> <laughs> slow, yeah. Okay, so now today we've got uh, a horror writer, and he's uh, written a book. He's written a few books, it looks like. We're going to get into the to the mind of Mr. Michael Clark. So thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, hopefully at the end of the show you say that. Well, I won't <laughs> say it out loud if, I, if I'm not happy. <laughs> so Hell on High is the new book. It's got an interesting name. It's got a great look to it and all that. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. How how did it come about? It came about with uh, my fascination for Mount Everest and the way they, if you climb the mountain and you die up there, they're going to leave you. It's just uh, it's too difficult to get you down. And some of these bodies over the years became landmarks. So there was, uh, you know, everybody that summited from the south side of the of the mountain would would crawl past green boots as he was known, and just the picture of him, I think he's missing now. Somebody threw him off the mountain or something, but he was up there for about 10 years, and, uh, you know, he's frozen. His his coat is, is uh, you know, fraying in the weather and fading in the sun, and and he's hard as a rock, and the the snow is just, like, blowing over him. Like, it looks, like you know, better than any kind of a Hollywood movie could to decorate a set. He's just part of the mountain and um, I wanted to kind of capture that in the pages so that's what I started with uh, my wife is Brazilian so my her her cousin said hey you should uh, there's a lot of black magic in in uh, in uh, northern Brazil and uh, it's called Macumba so you, you should start there and I'm thinking yeah I didn't want to you know write about voodoo because I don't know anything about that really and I, I know more about Brazil than I knew about I know about New Orleans 
and and, and it didn't want to go to Salem, Massachusetts, because they weren't really, you know, witches there, and uh, even though I used to live in Salem. So I've kind of put the two together, and, and what it is in, at the end, in the end, is it's an adventure. It, it's a couple of adventures. This, this uh, I have a heroine. Her name is Juliana. She starts in, in um, Brazil. Uh, she's forced to leave uh, because something terrible happens. She leaves her sister behind, uh, her little girl, and then she starts working in the United States to, to rescue her. And in the meantime, she meets a mountain climbing guy. She has learned that she has a talent for hiking and mountain climbing, and he's got some connections. And the story takes place in the 70s, and it turns out that she could become the first woman to summit Mount Everest. So we're in three continents with this one, and it's all over the place. Uh, my previous uh, story was, was a haunted house, so it was quite a different experience. Yeah, sounds like it. It's, it's cool, but um, when you when you did this, when you were thinking about that, did you do research in in that area of climbing Mount Everest and the um, people that were that have died there and stuff? Some of their history. Oh yeah, you did, hey? Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I wish I could say I traveled to Mount Everest and you know really did a deep dive, but no, I didn't. Uh, I, I did like what probably most of us do. I. Uh, First of all, I already had a fascination with Everest. I've read Into Thin Air a couple of times. I've read Sir Edmund Hillary's book. I love, uh, you know, all the little specials and, and uh, YouTube videos. So I already had a fascination. And then I just did a deeper dive. There are there are a lot of people, a lot of amateurs that film themselves just walking to base camp. And uh, I watched like three or four of those. And these these are people that are, you know, they start off laughing and having fun. And then... They they get closer to base camp and it's freezing and they start getting headaches and you know maybe food poisoning something like that and uh, it's hell on earth and they're only at seventeen thousand feet at, at base camp but seventeen thousand feet is also the highest point in the Alps so there's no messing around up there yeah yeah that's crazy you know or you could have gone up there and just and and died and then used that as the <laughs> Some some do. A lot of people do. Like now, there's there's like 300, you know, deaths up there, and uh, most of them are are up there. Although I've heard that they're starting to clean them up, especially on the Tibetan side. The Chinese are, uh, you know, getting rid of the the landmarks, and um, you know, and then I I also heard recently that that they're, they're starting to do that on the Pali side, and it costs between forty and eighty thousand dollars to get one body down. Wow. Wow, no wonder they yeah, have to mind. No messing around. But in the 70s, like, they, they nobody came down. It was, you, you you know, you die up there, you're staying. Right. Well, couldn't they send Wonder Woman up there? Or? Well, she doesn't have a coat, you know, so she, she would need to cover up. <laughs> when those people um, go up there and they die up there, do they not have any family or relatives that will pay to bring them down, or they just didn't? Like why why are why is there so many? Yeah. Do you have um, Hulu? I mean, there's a, there's one on Hulu that's brand new and it's like got the most modern, um, you know, camera equipment and everything. I mean, it's just beautiful. I mean, if if you want to get a real sense of not not like I've been there, but yeah, it's the best sense of what it's like to climb through the Kumbu Ice Fall and see how big these things are that could fall on you, or or just how big the valley is. And it, it's really captured well. And this guy, he's up there looking for his dead brother, and he leaves um, his beautiful wife and two young kids behind to do it. 
You know, I, I, for just to find a, a body, I mean, you could be another body. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, it's just, it's nuts. It's, and a lot of these guys are, you know, family men, and it's just they're driven. You know, they're driven to climb this, this stupid mountain. And um, they risk everything to do it. And there's so many stories, and it's most of it's on YouTube, uh, just people that, you know, got lost overnight. They have to bivouac, no tent, you know, uh, overnight. And then somehow this guy survives, and he's uh, – it's, it's just – it's nuts. It's just – it fascinates me. I, I can't believe people do it. Yeah, neither can I. But, you know, uh, every day that you're alive over the years, you start to see how – unusual a lot of people are in this world that we're living with so in a way i'm not so surprised but it's kind of crazy how do you get into the mindset of these these characters like like for instance uh juliana the 19 year old brazilian how can you get in the mindset of someone like that enough that you can write their character and dialogue that's a good point a good good question um well, I, I kind of I think I pictured my wife as as her, you know, I pictured her being younger. So I, you kind of have like a, you know, a model for. I borrowed the, um, one of the names from my cousin, and you know, so I, I've been to Brazil. I've spent about a year of it, a year of my life there, on and off. You know, I I can speak Portuguese like a like a baby. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I use somebody as a base for the character, and um, you know, I know some of the basic words and and. Um, I just go from there. It's it's easy when you can picture the person. How do you write the character that, um, you know, the person that's died on the mountain? How do you, how do you cover that kind of a person? In this book, we don't really cover uh, a corpse that's already there, although they do pass them on their way up the mountain. And without getting into spoilers. You you know you'll get to know somebody before they die on the mountain. So I the the, the character is alive and breathing and um, you know already kind of fleshed out so to speak. And then you know something happens. Well, did you find when you were doing your research what drives people to climb Mount Everest? I'm still shaking my head. I mean, it's uh, just watch one of these these uh, base camp videos. You know, like. It looks like it's going to be fun, 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 and everybody's bumming by the time they get up there, you know. It's just like, why would I want to spend, you know, not only all the money to get over there, but, but um, you know, then you're going to get sick, basically, or, or you just really have a bad, bad time, um, or at least freeze to death. They're staying in basically right. plywood boxes. That's the, the tea house rooms. It's it's just the worst of the worst, and, you know, crapping in a, in a, in a hole, you know. <laughs> So it it doesn't sound fun at all, except for you know, hey, I did it, wow. you know, that kind of a thing. And then, you know, people just go the rest of the way up the mountain just because because it's there, and that, that's a famous quote from uh, Hillary. When you're putting this together, um, I, I, I see it's I, something I always ask is is so, do you start with the characters? Do you start with the story, or do you start with the setting? And it seems like all three have their important parts to the story. And it sounds like you kind of had the idea. Um, how do you typically write a book from a scene, you know, from um, or or the you know the one thing that I want definitely to be in the book, like in this case, you know, the dead bodies on Everest. Um, you know, some some people go missing. Um, Mallory, they found him a while back, but his his climbing partner, Sandy Irvin, is still missing. You know, they just can't find a lot of these people. Yeah, I start with a scene or or a, a couple of things, and then I build around it. Um, 
you know, I obviously Brazil was another another part of it that I had to I had to connect the two. And um, it's not really like I wouldn't say I'd say that the Everest part of the book is about a third of it. There's a lot of the first part is about Brazil. The second part is being in the United States. It, it, like I said, it's an adventure, and they they've got to get from point A to point B, and there's a there's a lot of setup. But in a haunted house, there could be something around any corner. In this one, that tension of a haunted house is not there, but the adventure of it is. Like first of all, the the uh, immigration part was was also taken from YouTube and 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 real life illegal immigration. Uh, you know. Uh, people crossing borders they have to if you start in brazil you've got to cross 11 borders and the worst part of that adventure or journey is a jungle in the border of colombia and and panama not only does it have jaguars and crocodiles and you know every insect known to man and snake but there's also a a drug running uh you know guerrilla army in there that will kill you for no reason and th this is real and you could watch any one of these videos on uh on youtube too and it's just real life people that are so desperate like they fly and nowadays they fly from all over the world to brazil because it doesn't have like a a lot of visa requirements and um and they come up through so we're not just getting mexicans over our border you know and i'm, I'm not I, i'm i'm sympathetic to these people that are so desperate that they have to do that we're getting people from all over the world. There's a in the video. There's a you know it's called I think it's called CBS something, uh, and, the, and the name of the jungle is the Darien Gap. If you want to look it up, but uh, the guys from Iran, they fly from all over the world to, to come here and and uh, you know find a better life, and it's uh, it's really sad and it's really really dangerous. It sort of felt like Texas, you know. Well, I have them coming up through uh, Arizona, but. It, it, you know, yeah, the thing that you're talking about, the news this week. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, my son was uh, recently stationed in El Paso, and he used to look across, you know, I, I haven't asked him yet, but uh, he, I know he had, he could see um, one of those camps. I don't know if it was on the El Paso side or on the, on the Mexican side, but, you know, he could see one right out of his window, and, and that's where it happened. Like, I think it was in Mexico, but I don't know if that was, that was the one he could see or not, but yeah, it's exactly like that. And I was, one thing I did do, um, I was invited to a wedding down in Puerto Panasco, Mexico, and uh, we had to fly to Phoenix and drive down through the Arizona des desert and through this town called Sonoita, Mexico, and then drive all the way straight through Mexico, which I was nervous about because I've heard it can be a little bit nerve-wracking. And um, it's like a beach resort, and then when you get there, you're, you're, you're okay. Um, so I was able to see that part of the land and and uh where people really do sneak over and and um what it's like and i'll tell you it's it's big the, the, that desert is big and um god god bless anybody that has to do that yeah it's crazy it, it sounds like okay so it, it, you, this is a horror and an adventure i guess a thriller in the same time it, it, did you write this completely out of um for entertainment purposes for a story or is there something more to this? Do you have some... Uh, like social commentary? Well, even, it doesn't have to be social commentary. It could just be some meaning, and it uh, may be a meaning for yourself or to you. Like sometimes people write a story and it means something to them. It might not necessarily mean the same thing to the reader. And plus, things develop, like, you know, commentaries, or you might say a, 
you know, a subtext, but that sometimes happens organically, like it wasn't intended, but just it came out of the story. So do you think, is there something like that attached to this? Not really commentary, except I do write, you know, something about, you know, why did I choose Brazil? Because I don't know if you heard about the controversy of uh, the, the book American Dirt, um, written by um, a woman, like a, a white woman that says she was married to an immigrant. It was picked by Oprah Winfrey to be, her, you know, in, in her uh, her choice of the month or however she does it. And then, you know, she was chastised, not not so much Oprah, but the author, because she does a lot of commentary about Mexico and um, opinions, and she talks a little bit about skin color, and, and then it turns out that her husband is like an Irish immigrant. So it really didn't, like the, the people of Mexico and Latinos in general kind of, came down on her heart and I and that happened while I was writing this so I, I was like oh god you know like I'm a gringo my my wife calls me a gringo and um here I am writing this book and I'm it, I'm you know neck deep in it already so you know I, I really went back and looked and and took out any kind of I don't think I had much commentary I just wanted to be I just wanted to start it in Brazil because I know more about Brazil than like I said there's black magic there okay and I don't know anything about voodoo or Santeria or any other kind of black magic. So, But I, I've been to Brazil, and I've seen these uh, offerings left at crossroads, and I've been to the beach on New Year's Eve, and I see you know people practicing macumba and throwing white flowers into the ocean for Yimanja, the, the goddess of the sea, and, and it's a real thing. And, and we have a friend here, a Brazilian friend that lives – in Massachusetts here too, and she helped me uh, with with those uh, with the Macumba part of the book. She's a, she practices it, um, the white magic part. So her name was uh, Janich. No, as far as like, I wanted this to be fun. I wanted it to be a fun book. It's it's not really a you know any kind of a social commentary, but it's it's as real as I could get it. I tried to get the atmosphere of of the immigration part, the atmosphere of the Everest part. You know, I haven't even mentioned why she had to flee brazil but it's got it's got something to do with black magic and um you know there's some um supernatural uh entities uh in the book as well and i know it sounds like it's all over the place but it is an adventure i think it's unique and it's something that you haven't read before and i do believe that <laughs> it's a little bit better put together than what i might be making it sound like right now no no it sounds fine it's uh how did you get into writing this book like what led you to this idea was there a particular incident or something you saw yeah i had a dream that my wife was frozen solid i i, I used to work in a seafood restaurant oh. and i used to get this frozen <laughs> swordfish right like a, a whole swordfish except for the head and it's you know it's like a 80 pound baseball bat you know it's hard as a rock and uh, I had a dream that she was frozen solid like that, and I had to pick her up, and she wouldn't move. And I've seen a couple of videos on YouTube of, you know, removing a dead body, and, and they are just like, they look like, you, you know, you're pulling a shrimp out of the freezer, you know. They're just stuck in that one, in the exact position they died. So I, I did have a dream about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, and I've always had this fascination with, with the dead bodies that don't move up there. And then, um, you know, just married it to the Brazil part and yeah and then i if i'm gonna write something supernatural 
I uh, I really like ghosts, and I like witches or black magic kind of a thing. I'm not so much into demons or, you know, stuff like that. I do like serial killers, too. I saw you did a bunch of stuff on serial killers. <laughs> yeah. But I have yet to write a, a novel about them. One is in the works. I, You know, one, one um, I'm right, I'm in, in halfway into another novel now, and, and I was inspired by I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I always have this eternal fascination, like, why, why, why? And I can't wrap my head around it. Do you feel like you've gotten closer to that? No, I've, I've gotten to realize that um, there is no difference. Usually when you meet a killer, um, if you didn't know they were a killer, you probably wouldn't know it. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're so, uh, usually the real serial killers, the, the majority of who is involved in that kind of world um, is a very average person that you would have no idea was the killer. It, it, it's kind of, I don't know if it's glorified or made um, um, something um, spectacular, but most serial killers are not Hannibal Lecter, so to speak. Mm. They're, they're not like this uh, well-educated, well-traveled, and, you know, they, they can tell you all the fine wines and, and all. They're usually not that type of a person. They're just mm. Joe, they're Joe Blow down the road. That's what everybody says. I would never would have known he was so normal, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's the true. And when you meet them, that's generally what you find. How did you get involved in writing, period? Like what, Because you aren't a lifelong writer, right? You didn't start this when you were six. And just... No, I'm older than most of the writers, I think. I'm 57 and uh, you know started at like 52. And I think I was just sick of seeing reboots in movie theaters, you know, like I... If I could direct a movie, I would, but I know it takes, you know, millions of dollars and, million, you know, tons of people, and I, the learning curve is just too much. So I figured if I could write a story, it only takes me to do that, and then, you know, maybe it'd be picked up someday, like Paul Tremblay's, you know, Knock at the Cabin, Knock at uh, the Cabin at the End of the World, and, uh, you know, that, that would be the ultimate dream. Um, but, uh, you know, I know the odds are against that. And um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was born out of, like, why are they rebooting Pet Cemetery? You know, it's like it's almost the same movie. And, and uh, you know, Batman, why why do we, you know, have to see so many? I love Batman, but they, they, they're ruining it, you know. It's, give him a break and maybe come up with a new character or something like that. I don't know. But, you know, they just, they're so worried about their money and, and you know, they, they need to go with something tried and true. And if you want to, if you want to break through with something new, you really got to, you know, I don't know how to do it. I haven't done it yet, but that's that's the goal, you know, to to, to somehow break through and and um, you know elbow my way into uh, you know the public entertainment sector. I don't know. You gotta start sleeping with people. <laughs> oh, it works. It works. Well, I do sleep with my wife. No, but you gotta get out there and get into Hollywood oh, and start. Oh. Start. Honey, I, I'll be right yeah. back. <laughs> That's right. No, it's, it's a tough business, and you never know. There's no answers to it. There's no answers. You just got to focus on what you do. Yeah. The more you can focus on your writing and not so much on the noise around you, I think the better you become and the better at it you become because there's so many distractions. And the more popular you get, the more distractions there are. And that's what you've got to learn to avoid. Um, yeah, it's quite a it's quite a balancing act. But before you know it, you'll be Stephen King. Hey, <laughs> you know, he's got a couple of books out, and I think he's got a movie Who? out. Yeah, yeah. Stephen yeah. King. Yeah, I think. I yeah, him. he's hard to find, but 
<laughs> I think I think you can find him in a bookstore or two. I actually met him. Um, I met him 40 years ago tomorrow. I have a signed copy of Christine. I was 17 years old, and and uh, yeah, I forgot it's tomorrow, but it's 3:31:83, and um, yeah. So he was. It was. Um, I asked him. I said, "What? Are, what are you? Uh, what's coming up after Christine?" He says, "Well, it's a book called Pet Cemetery." Blah, blah, blah. So that's my little Stephen King story. Yeah, you should have told him. Listen, forget it. Stop. You don't know. What you're doing. I yeah. should have told him that to not okay the reboot of the the second yeah. movie. Oh, you know, I think yeah. it's at a point where he, he, you know, he doesn't care. And as a writer, it's out of your hands. No. When when things get optioned, they option it. They have they have control. You have you have a lot less control over what they're going to do with your book. You know. Yeah. Um, true. Until you become a big shot like he is now. Back then, he probably didn't have that much that much say and it's a good amount of money and you take it and you don't uh don't worry about it you know yeah he doesn't like uh stanley kubrick's uh the shining yeah i know that yeah. well you know to, it's it's all kind of relevant to what you are and what you're looking for i mean there's so many formulas now like i couldn't imagine like we've talked to a lot of writers that do scripts and writing for um a lot of the series out there right now, and everything's formula. You know, they have to; they're under such pressure, and they got so much to do. They take a lot of other formulas used in other stories and kind of rework it for, for the new one. That's what I'm sick of. That's what I. That's uh, maybe I'll never make it, but I I, I wouldn't be able to write that because that's I'd be a hypocrite. No, but if I can say you're right, you know, in your mind you sit there and go, well, I couldn't do that. That's right. But when I know a lot of them, and what it is is when you get in the place, they're like you. They've been working. And they've got, you know, maybe longer than you. They've been doing it since they were 30 and still haven't really made it, so to speak. And all of a sudden they get a really good script comes along. The pay is great and the regular amount of money. So you take it. Yeah. Knowing that, wow, this is all of a sudden you yep. go from making, you know, whatever to $150,000. You're like, okay. You know, you just jump. And you can put it on your resume and keep. Keep working. You know, I find the best thing about some of the worst things you do in your life is you meet and network with some people that um, end up being somewhere down the road in your life that end up helping. Like it's it's probably the best thing you get out of these mm. different uh, different side maneuvers. But it's just, it's no different than going to work for, a, you know, a McDonald's or a restaurant. You're just doing something to make money while you get what you really care about done. So I think. I, I, I sort of allow it, but I know what you're saying, because most of the streaming stuff now, I, I can't stand watching most. Yeah, because it's, a, you know, I'm, I don't know how old you are, but you know how old I am. 60. <laughs> okay, so we're like same generation, and, and we know that there's a new generation every 10, 20 years or whatever it is, and, and they're just going to say, hey, they haven't seen Batman yet, and they're going to, you know, kick out a Batman, and, you know, just because that, that generation hasn't paid to see Batman yet. So, yeah, that's what we're kind of up against. Yeah, and then they're going to have, they want their stars in it. They don't want someone that was famous back in, in the 80s and 90s. They want someone now, you know. Yeah. And and it just, you know, but it's it's kind of boring. I know what you're saying. I'm not really into most of them myself. I'd rather watch the original. So you know you're old when. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what I always say. Um, some of them I give a try. I mean, but that you know that new that movie that just won Best Picture and all those awards. You know the everything all over every time. You know that movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen that one yet, but um, no, it's really atrocious. Really? Yeah. Huh. I mean, it's really 
not good. And I, the thing is, I really like some of the people in the movie. I like some of the actors. I like some of the careers in it and stuff. But, oh, my God. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I'm curious. My <laughs> wife's like, no, I'm not watching it because she's not into, you know, I guess it's a little bit of sci-fi or something. But it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy, and it's a lot of karate and martial arts and stuff. Dave, Dave, didn't you give it a, Dave does reviews, I know, didn't you get stars? Well, I gave it three, you know, it's a very polarizing movie. Some people absolutely love it, some people absolutely hate it. So I, I went for the middle, and I still, I still got some, some bad emails and stuff. Yeah, they want him to because, die. Yeah, they want him to die. <laughs> <laughs> they said I was going to age out. Oh. Gonna age out. People like me will age out. So. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, I it's tried to get a cancel. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, he's not, you know. But it's just kind of crazy in a sense. It's, it's, I, I, let's just say I didn't mind it the first half hour, the first 45 minutes. I was okay. And then after that, it was just crazy. I, um, I had to do it in two settings. And, and the, 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 I wanted to slip my wrists and my ears were bleeding by the end of it. So... <laughs> I rarely like Oscar movies, but I'm always sucked in. Like, okay, I'll try that. And like, oh God, why did I do that? So this is not an Oscar movie. I don't know why. It, I'm really surprised. Other than maybe a visual effects or some of the some of the studio effects that they did, I couldn't imagine why it won any of those awards. Personally, again, it's an opinion. So, what made you decide to actually publish a book? What was it? that happened that made you publish the very first thing you did? Like, was there a reason that something happened and you got It might have been that Pet Cemetery movie. And, I'm, and, I, and like, <laughs> my nephew, he's, you know, 40 years younger than me, and, and I think we were talking about one of the new Star Wars movies, you know, a few years back, and I'm like, well, this part was good, but that part wasn't good. Enough. And he's like, why don't you ever like any movies? And I was like, oh, God, I'm, I'm that guy. You know, and I'm the grumpy old man. And, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I, I, I was like, I better put up or shut up. You know, I better, I, you know, everybody was like, no, I like that. I like that. I'm like, God, you guys are so easy. Yeah. So I just feel opinionated about that kind of thing. And, and um, I had to put my money where my mouth was. And I said, what the hell? I'll do it. And and so I did it. And self-published, um, my first book is called The Patience of a Dead Man. And um, and then I've stretched it into a trilogy. So I've really written two stories, but it's four novels. And um, the first one being, you know, self first three being self-published. And then the latest one, I uh, went through a small press called uh, Bridget's Gate Press. And they've been wonderful to work with. Although now I'm finding, like, I, the thing about self-publishing, I guess you can, I mean, there's a lot of work, right? It, right. Especially if you go wide and you you're Ingram Spark and you want your book, you know, to be sold on every you know in every possible place. So I did the Amazon only thing, the KDP, and um, that was hard enough. And you know, all these learning curve and everything. And so I'm like, well, I want to see my book in in bookstores. And so I went through Bridgesgate Press and um, and I see uh, on Twitter all these other authors that have done things with Bridget's Gate and, and similar um, presses that, are, you know, they're getting their books in bookstores. And so I'm like, this is what I want to do because in my my day job is I'm a salesman. Like, uh, I can get on the phone. I hate it. But I can do it. And I know, like, it used to be that you 
somebody says no or hangs up the phone on you. I'm not a telemarketer, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but I do use the telephone. And if somebody hangs up on you, it might crush you. You know, it would just, you know, you'd want to quit and stop working for the day. But I, I've got past that. I know it's like all about numbers and polite and let them hang up on you or whatever and take no for an answer. So I'm all ready for this. And this is kind of still unfolding. Uh, there's a Barnes & Noble employee on Twitter um, that uh, he's getting all kinds of books in, into his store because he, he's ordering them. And then it, it seems like all of a sudden corporate is asking him, hey, why, why, why are you doing this? You know, these are all print-on-demand books, um, which was a new term to me. It's not, like, I guess if your books aren't printed up ahead of time, they, they, right. they're not as good as books that are printed to order. And... Um, so all of a sudden, this is kind of like falling through. Like to get to get into a bookstore, I was gonna, I was ready to call like every bookstore in America. Like I started printing off states worth of, <laughs> of Barnes and Nobles and and indie bookstores. Yeah, and I had some, you know, early um, success with some of the ones that I that sell that specialize in horror, and uh, like five or six, and um, and then I started running into some roadblocks and uh, this print on demand thing. So. This is kind of a half a thought, but I just wanted to let you know where I am right now. Like, and, and in my career, um, going from self-publishing to a small press and, and trying to break through to that next level kind of thing. I've only been doing it for, you know, published for four years. Um, eh, this is where I am, and this is the, the log jam that I face right now. Well, I'm curious. You know, we were talking off air about uh, the Merrimack Valley uh, Book Festival. And I'm just curious how you uh, found uh, the horror community because uh, I know I found it way back with like uh, the Shocklines message board. But I was curious to uh, how you found. Did you find that through the book festival, or uh, was there some other way that you um, met everybody? I don't remember. It was something like I think I started on Facebook, and then I'm like I should be on Twitter too, and then and then you know podcasts and that kind of a thing. Listening to podcasts. Yeah, I think I just found like a couple of people, like maybe Laurel Hightower. I don't know if you know her, but she's a, yep. a, a big name, and. Um, we we kind of became friends, you know, like she helped me get going. She told me what to do as far as like there's a list of bloggers. You want to get bloggers to read your book. And so I, you know, talked to all those people and kind of like found, elbowed my way in a little bit gently. And um, so that's the way I did it. But the, the funny thing about the Merrimack Valley Halloween Book Festival is um, Christopher Golden lives in the same town I do. Yeah. And Haverhill Press is is here too, and and like yeah. I never knew, I never knew this. <laughs> I've, I've lived here since 2003, and uh, you know, just I, I, I'm like, you know, my story is going to change the world. I, I I'm going to write something fresh and new, and then then I realized that you know, tons of people are already doing that. I just had never heard of anybody, you know, like I, I just my bad, you know. But uh, there's so many people are writing books. But, um, yeah, so I, I had the gall to call the library and say, hey, I want to get a table. Can I talk to Christopher Golden? You know, and now <laughs> that I know he's New York Times bestselling Christopher Golden and all this stuff, I'm like, you know, what you don't know. Like, even though I was 52, I, I was acting like a, you know, a dumb kid. Yeah, but, you know, it's just one of those things you uh... – Live and learn, right? You're going through it, and that's how, that you're never going to know until you do it, type thing. Yeah, you don't know what you know, and you, you you're making mistakes, and sometimes it works out. Like he's probably looking at me like, "This guy wants a table," you know. Yeah. yeah. So well, <laughs> but I got a table for the first time this year. 
Yeah, but you don't know until you ask, right? You don't know until you get in there and that's uh, it, and start. You uh, got to take your, your swings, you know, and yeah, just don't you, be obnoxious. Well, yeah, just you get in there and you just want, you know, the worst they can do, right? In really, is just say no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and if they laugh at you, then you get their name and you follow them and you, you hunt right. them down and kill them. Yeah, he <laughs> lives in my town. I, I'll egg yeah. his house. Yeah, I know where you live. I know where you get your check. That's what that's what I do. I've got a huge amount of bodies here stocked up. Um, uh, so now I also noticed that you did have a problem with. Um, I guess you call it uh, book theft in a sense. Someone else selling your book, and you're not really making anything of it. It's kind of like hijacking your material. I I don't really want to call it piracy. Yeah, piracy, I guess, is the best way to do it. How did that happen? It was just, I'm still in Bridget's Gate Press. It's still kind of like, what the hell happened? The book came out March 9th. Today's March 30th. So, you know, they were planning on doing that. And then they um, there was a pre-order up for the for a 99-cent uh, e-book. And that was up since, like, mid-January. So we're pushing you know, pre-sales and everything, and um, just looking for numbers. I mean, obviously, we're not going to make money off 99-cent ebook, you know, but I, you know, my first time with a publisher, I'm like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself more desirable to my publisher and publishers like them. It comes time for, um, like, the 8th or something, like, they go to upload the paperback, and then it's flagged for copyright infringement. And I'm like, and they're like, well, do you know of anything in your book that would be you know, uh, you know, infringement. And so I go through the whole damn book and I'm like, well, I quoted a song here and I did the, no, no, no. And then, um, Amazon meanwhile is just the worst. They are, there's three departments. They don't talk to each other. It could have been, you know, dealt with, with a 10 minute phone call. If, if you could even call one of these departments, there's no phone number. This is Amazon. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, God forbid. So it goes on for four days, and, and, like, the book is on Amazon. It's posted on Amazon, you know, uh, shipped by, um, what was it, uh, Super Book Deals, and then and another one. I forget the name of that one. There was, like, two shipped by or sold bys, and we're like, what the hell? I mean, we they didn't even have the the graphics for the the back cover. Or the spine of the book. They just had like a picture of the, um, you know, the, the front cover because that was a, up for the pre-sale. So we get flagged, and then Amazon does something, and they leave the the. Uh, I, I'm just gonna say pirated because I don't know what happened. Right. Like like you know the the arcs go out, the advanced reader copies go out, and it's in Eng- uh, not not Ingram, um, it's in uh, what's the name of that NetGalley. Right. And we send out a bunch of of uh, you know arcs and stuff too. So could have been somebody. You know, one of our ARC readers or somebody from NetGalley, we don't know. And then, so we complain or we get flagged, and then Amazon takes down not the entire listing from Superbook Deals, but just the cover. So now now there's a listing with no cover. It says no image available. And they leave it up for four days. And meanwhile, we're like, what the hell? You know, I mean, it's supposed to be out March 9th, and now it's, you know, March 12th. And finally, they got it, they got it, um, they, they, did whatever they did, and we're up there, and it's it's finally our book. Meanwhile, my neighbor had ordered <laughs> the pirated version, and uh, he's like, "It's on the way." And I'm talking like March 17th, right? And 
yeah, it should be here today, and then it gets delayed. And then it, they even ha- it has an Amazon tracking number. It's going to be delivered by an Amazon van. Nope, didn't come today. And I said, well, just cancel it, you know. And so, because I wanted to see what, what came in the mail. I was going to yeah. trade him, you know, a real copy for the, whatever this thing was with no back cover. Finally, I'm just like, just cancel it. And I think what was, I think really what happened there was Amazon couldn't tell him that the book wasn't coming and they wanted him to cancel it. That's just my best guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. They're too big of an operation. They don't have enough. It's too big to control or streamline that much. But super book deals are, you know, the people ripping off. Um, yeah, they books. have terrible ratings. I, I looked up Yelp. I, you know, well, 186 trust pilot. stars. Yeah, I mean, they're told they never send books. They never give you your money back. There's no service. So they're set up just to uh, pirate copies and send them out and try to make money, I guess. But I, I just don't understand how that can't be shut down. I, yeah, Amazon puts it on Amazon.com. You know, well, of course, it, yeah. See, because it's all done digitally, and they don't really pay attention, and and bots are kind of scanning things, so they just sort mm-hmm. of take the info and they let you. Because if you want to sell products, you can sell it on Amazon, and so they're kind of they're too big and not enough control over it. Not enough. We lost all the pre-sales too. They just canceled them all, and everybody got everybody. You know, all my friends or whoever. You know, like, hey, your book was canceled today. Oh, okay, okay. You know, like answering all that. Um, side note, I was a little flattered that somebody wanted to pirate my book. So yeah, a little bit, little <laughs> bit of ego there that was uh, massaged. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I checked out super book deals too. They've only got two of my books. So oh, they See, do. I, yeah, uh, <clears throat> but what, what can you do? I, I I just don't know what you can do. Um, I don't know, but they're out of Maryland. I mean, it's just uh, you'd think that Amazon would do something about it or just ban them or something. I don't know. Yeah, and not let them use their platform, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a whole new world. Got to learn how to use it, I guess. Well, that's uh, at least I don't know the old way of doing it, so I don't have to. Forget well, the old way was just the, just the big boys, you know, and a few yeah. small publishers, and, uh, and now the independent publishers you got to be careful of because. A lot of them don't go broke. A lot of them don't do very much for you. A lot of them don't really do much um, for what they take in it, and some do. You know, so you gotta. I think they're still guarding their stuff too. I think they're the ones that that you know said something to Barnes and Noble, and um, like even just today, like I chose New Jersey to start. Like this was last week. Practice my spiel. Um, I didn't want to like get rejected in Massachusetts where where I live, and I just I'm going to try New Jersey. I'm going to start you know asking people that don't know who I am if I can send some swag with you know to you if you order two of my books. I'll send some autograph stuff so that the you know the readers can take a, a print and a book plate sticker and a bookmark home. You know, and uh, naive again, right? And uh, so I talked to an independent bookseller with with a pretty good you know store. He's, Seems to be pretty busy. And then I also called at Barnes & Noble. And I called them back today because I, I needed, like, a, a refresher or a recap. I had follow-up questions. And um, so, first of all, last week, the Barnes & Noble guy says that print-on-demand books are – you get no credit when you return them. That's right. what his, his boss told him. Yeah. But I called the independent guy, and he says, no, I'll get my money back. It's just that I'll pay shipping to, uh, you know, to ship them back if I don't sell them. So I get two different stories. I don't think the independent guy had anything to, any reason to lie. But I do believe that 
the bosses at Barnes and Noble told their people that stop ordering print on demand and and indie stuff. So you know you order the traditional published stuff. So they're still there. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I don't see how I can get my book into Barnes and Noble unless. I'm signed by one of them. You know, the secret really is going on tour. The authors that go on tour and go to all the bookstores and do all these signings do really well because each store, because each time, like I did two in the summer, four in the summer, and you, you sell, I don't know, 20 to 50 books each signing, mm. and you do that, you know, over six, eight signings, you're starting to sell books and in different regions, and all those stores will keep ordering your books. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just got to... Break the seal kind of thing. you got to break it and go to a suburb of the closest city to you and hit a, hit a smaller Barnes & Nobles and um, maybe an independent bookstore. you got to get some sort of break-in. and uh, you can Yeah, exactly. It's, and and you got to spend time doing what, what you're doing and, and you get better at it by, you know, yeah. trial and error. And, yeah, I, I'm old enough up to up. know that. I just... Yeah. I'm just exhausted thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, just focus. It's, it, there's so much to it, and you just focus on what you can. Get out there, do the best you can today, and, and try not to think of, you know, anything else, and try not to get, you know, sidelined with stuff. Just kind of go, well, I want to get a book signing done. Where can I do it? And focus on that. Figure that out. Because <laughs> there are places that will do it, especially mm-hmm. if, let's say, someone does say it's an independent bookstore, and they go, we don't like to have signings with on de- print on demand. Just say you're going to bring your own books. Or that you guarantee, yeah, you'll take returns. Um, because it'll come, you can print them on demand yourself. You can pay for Ingram and order 50 books and pay cost and take them in with you. And that's what a lot of authors do for shows, right? I guess, yeah. Yeah, actually, I think they did that at the Merrimack Valley Halloween Book Festival. Well, that's what, yeah, if we're going to do a show here, that's what I would do. If a publisher's involved, a lot of times they'll do it for you. They'll print up. See, and that's kind of an advantage. If your publisher prints the books and sends them, then sometimes you can get in other stores that just print on demand. Yeah, that's that's that. part of what I'm learning. Just like, oh, okay, well, hmm. A little bit of a roadblock here and there, whatever. Let's talk about um, how people find Michael Clark. Like, where, where are you on social media? You have websites. Where do people find him? I can't try to keep it simple. My website is michaelclarkbooks.com, and that's Clark with no E. And um, I am Mike Clark Books on Twitter, and pretty much Michael Clark Books everywhere else. Fantastic. Of course, now we're going to have that up on our website as well. People can find you with one click, so we're all set. Again, your new book is called Hell on High, and our guest is the author, Michael Clark. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Something with media. I'll be back.